0: Welcome to the Subspace Exploration Project, a personal journey into kink, non-monogamy, mental and emotional health, gender expression, and building community.
1: On this episode, we had a chance to talk with Lee Harrington, who is a spiritual and erotic authenticity educator, gender explorer, eclectic artist, and award-winning author and editor on erotic and sacred
0: experience. It was amazing to get a chance to talk with Lee about exploring ways of being our authentic selves while doing what we can to build and maintain our communities. Before we get to our interview with Lee, let's quickly introduce
2: ourselves. My name is Todd, and I put this mess together. So this show is a bit of a continuation of a podcast I produced back in 2011, co-hosted by Janet Hardy, Janae Wilde, and Sarah Black. That show had a very similar focus, but relied mostly on the experiences and expertise of big name guests. The subspace exploration project is, to a certain extent, something that parallels my own exploration of kink, sex, non-monogamy, gender expression, and discoveries I'm making in my attachment style, how my mental health and neurodivergence intersect and shape all the different ways I connect with and honor the people in my life. I think the least interesting thing about this show is myself. I'm a white-presenting, gender-nonconforming older guy, 15 years into embracing non-monogamy, finally jumping into the deep end of the kink community. Why I thought this show needed to happen is because of the brilliant, beautiful, loving, and open people I've met in the kink and queer communities over this last year or so. They shine so brightly despite the terrible, undeniable state of the world. So for me, this show is about meeting those people, hearing about their life experiences and sharing in moments of self-reflection and discovery.
1: I suppose I'm the resident Gen Z here. So I'm somewhat of at a beginning in my journey of self-discovery and queer kinky trans community has been integral in that journey of self-understanding. I think media like this podcast is an extension of that community and sharing our experiences is an opportunity for us to learn from one another, young and old.
0: And I myself as someone who struggles with neurodivergence and trauma, kink has become a safe and healthy place for me to explore my emotions and face head on my inner challenges i like to address the stigma associated with kink and show others that there's peace and healing and joy to be had within.
2: I've done a deep dive recently into your podcast and I have to say, it's amazing. I think it's a, it's a good window into your soul and I'm not myself very spiritual, but I can still relate to a lot of what you get into on your show. And it's kind of tragic that you had to stop doing it, but I understand it is a lot of work.
3: You know, we make decisions and I decided to weigh out on the side of working more on on book and book and other publication projects and in combination with having the opportunity to do both in person and online teaching around the world. And there's only so many hours in a day. Yeah. (laughs) So No, I keep thinking about going back to it mostly because my best friend informed me that if you type in Lee Harrington on the Internet, one of the top two searches uh, is my podcast that has not been run in so many years. And so simply for, you know, basically SEO allyship, um, I am tempted to go back because sometimes algorithms make decisions for us because we are in the future.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I recently, I don't know if everybody's on TikTok at all, but I recently finally bought something from the TikTok shop, and now they're like, let us show you more videos of what you could buy on the TikTok shop. <laughs> and I'm like,
3: stop. Oh, no, no. The creepy one was my sweetie visiting from Baltimore, from the Baltimore area. Um, it, we went to Colorado Springs together. Uh-huh. And now she is receiving ads for trans-masculine products and gay porn. <laughs> cool.
0: <laughs> there you go. Which she's not
1: mad
3: about, no. but literally is just because she was standing next to me for three days.
2: Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> Can you tell us a bit about the role of spirituality and how it has guided your journey of self-discovery?
3: Yeah. I was blessed slash through challenges uh, raised in a mixed religious household. And my parents, instead of arguing about it, I mean, they did that, too. Uh, but instead, they made a decision that I should go every, to everywhere and everything. I should go to mosque and synagogue. I should go to temple and church. And there were places that tasted alive, that felt real in my skin. And ones that didn't. And when I first started playing privately as a teen, I had those moments as well. But I remember the first time I went to a public play party and I was a big-titted chick at the time and got picked up by some random heterosexual man whose name I don't remember. And he ended up doing a flogging scene on me a flogging scene with me and I had this moment where it felt the same way it felt when I had ecstatic moments in faith when I had ecstatic moments that were transcendent of time where time folded in on itself and the world was sparkly and not the same and it felt like touching the universe That it was something more than what it was. And afterwards, I remember turning to him and saying, Oh my God, that was the most transcendent, beautiful, powerful, spiritual moment. And his response was, but it was just a flogging. (laughs) (laughs) And it very much set this path for trying to figure out, not just how I chase that thing, because that's, As somebody with dances with addiction, that is not necessarily the path I want to follow. But finding those moments of being able to tap in. And that very much has informed who I connect with in kink communities, right? Who else is exploring in those ways rather than only being rope vending machines? Who is doing these things that wants to connect on a bigger level or have these other conversations? Not deeper, because the tech side and the getting off side can be huge and beautiful conversations, totally hot. But this other piece as well. And then also looking for and finding groups around the world that we're diving into these things too. So that's been part of my last 25 years. I actually started privately 30 years ago. So yeah, it's it's wild, but, uh, but it's been a, an interesting and fun ride at times.
1: Now, your parents made you go to a lot of different places. Was that, I was raised Unitarian Universalists. And so when mm-hmm. we went to UU Church, that was kind of like, they would bring in a lot of different teachings from a lot of different religions, right. which is something that me and my family greatly appreciated because there is so much to take away from from everybody um and and what their practices have to offer mm-hmm. um so that's really that's interesting uh, and I I get the like wow everybody has their own flavor that is like so very palpable to me and you know finding that in in kinking in sex is a really nice refuge for when you've at least for someone who has kind of abandoned religion and spirituality, mm. to find that taste again, um, and with this conversation that you bring to it, with like how to translate ideas from uh, spirituality to how you're experiencing the world with your own kind of idea set and and values.
3: Yeah, I feel there can be unexpected blessings that come out of those dark moments of discordance in life. Mm -hmm. Uh, For them, it was that they were on such profoundly different paths and shouldn't, in my opinion, have ever been together in the first place, but stuck together for a long, many years past (laughs) what was uh, a good fit for the two of them.
1: Yeah.
3: And... And the the shine that comes out of it, the the beauty, is getting to have those requests, callings, moments Mm -hmm. that wouldn't have happened otherwise. And I've had people think of me as a Pollyanna at times, but it's also me choosing to live in the hopes of moments without forgetting the toxicity and horribleness Mm -hmm. of those moments. I'm not going to set aside the really dark things that happened, but I don't need to live in them all the time. Like, yes, I've been in abusive master-slave dynamics on the S side. Mm -hmm. Yes, I've been in really toxic uh, scenes that have left me physically harmed or emotionally harmed for extended periods of time. And my desire for human connection my desire for pleasure and hedonism Mm -hmm. asks me, what can you find out of these life experiences that have beauty and hope and joy embedded in them? Yeah. But also not forget that shit.
0: Yeah. Right. That's something I was interested to hear you talk about because um, I have my experience with religion was... um, I was abused by it and so finding those moments where it feels real to me is very rare and um, kink is one of the places that I did happen to find that sort of space Um, and being vulnerable um, is a huge one, being able to be vulnerable, feeling safe enough to be vulnerable. Yeah. Uh, And bringing it all back to um, just that experience that uh, I would have never thought of it as spiritual necessarily, but that's as close as I would get. (laughs)
1: Yeah.
3: Well, and the words sometimes get in the way of our experiences. Mm
0: -hmm.
3: When the word spiritual has been co opted by the construct of religion or dogma. It doesn't always leave space for those of us like yourself, Ronan, who have been so profoundly harmed by domatic, dogmatic structures and religious organizations yeah. and systems. And so some of us go hunting for other words like subspace or rope right. space or dom space because that word space gives permission for the spaces outside of normal time and place. Mm.
0: Yes, yeah. for sure.
3: Yeah, that word space is so powerful. But sometimes gets given almost this lip service especially for tops dominance and owners, etc. Like it gets it gets given this like, you know, Oh, well, no, it's for subs. Subs go into this. And I'm like, well, but what about those moments when I, as a top or a daddy or a handler, have the world melt away. And all there is, is my partner's eyes as they hand that trust to me. And I trust myself to be that vessel that can hold them and me safely and nothing else matters. I've been in play spaces, in dungeons, where people are like, oh, did you hear so and so screaming? That was such a hot scene. And I'm like, what? What are you talking about? Because all that mattered in that moment was me and the rope and my breath and feeling my partner tug on that line the rest was superfluous, the rest did not matter. And it's not to say other humans don't matter. Yeah. It is simply to say what was present and beautiful Mm -hmm. is I think that word spirit that for some of us, like yourself has this toxicness attached to it. And I wish it didn't.
0: Yeah. Right. That's definitely something, personally, I've been working on not uh, attaching it to so much. But um, And I think that uh, doms and, you know, people that are dominant, I think they get into a space as well where they're, like you were talking about, they're also vulnerable and people don't think them to be vulnerable, but they definitely are by putting themselves, uh, like you said, in the trust of someone else to to be that space for
3: them. I, When we talk about the, the, the vulnerability of whatever the left side of the slash is, right? If we've got top, bottom, dom, sub, anyone on the left side of the slash. Um, I think though, when thinking about altered states of consciousness, I think of a friend of mine, who was asked to do a a race play scene by one of their dearest and oldest friends. And they said, no, like as they were a black person asking to a white man. And he was like, no, I I don't want to be that villain. Mm
0: -hmm.
3: I don't want to tap into that. I don't, that harm in culture and in personal, like, I don't think he said familial lineage, but that concept. Um, that, that holds no interest and in, in actually I, I love you. I care about you, my friend and no. And over the course of a couple of years, they negotiated and decided to do a large group scene and in the middle of it, he had a moment where he snapped out of this role playing headspace that had been distinctly negotiated by the bottom requested by the bottom initiated by the bottom who was black. Um, and he snapped out of it mid-scene and realized the things that were coming out of his mouth were the things his grandfather said that were horrible and cruel and wrong Mm -hmm. and he he couldn't he couldn't keep going the rest of the scene did finish it was a large group scene, etc but it's years later and C is still processing because of his moment of vulnerability in the middle of an intense scene, he is still processing this moment of, is that toxicness, is that intergenerational trauma as the villain? Yeah, right. Is that still in my family line? Is that is that in my body? Yeah. In which case, what is the massive work I can do in anti-racism yeah. to hack my own psyche to never have that happen again, where I realize, oh shit, that's there. Mm-hmm. And and for folks I know in general, who in role-playing play the villain, facing where is the parts of my desire for that in combination with what parts of me need, need the love and attention to not go there again.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And it's something yeah. I
3: think about. It's something I think about a lot. Is that experience of his um, because it's it's not the exact story I've lived in my scenes, but it has. It reminds me of that intersection of vulnerability and
0: intense
1: exploration.
0: Yeah, you definitely learn things about yourself for sure. Yes, that's
1: a fantastic example and kind of harrowing also um, and i'm I'm someone that has you know pretty consistently op- uh, occupied the right side of the slash as as a bottom and submissive and um, so I haven't had that feeling of vulnerability with with like a top or dumb space um, but You know, I'm, 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 I am generally like a rough person outside of, you know, like kink and stuff and I'm, can be quite abrasive. And so sometimes when I think about getting in some sort of like dom space, I'm like the expertise that I can bring are what are the teachings of, you know, my family members and how to be rough and abrasive. I could do that really well. I can make you feel (laughs) shitty about yourself. Um... (laughs) If that's what you want. <laughs> um, but it doesn't bring me that much joy to actually uh, make someone feel shitty about themselves. Um, and so it is something that I try to reserve for, you know, my other friends with that same upbringing that need an outlet to be abrasive and and, and shitty with somebody else. Not like totally ethically shitty, but, you know, sometimes you got mean guys around. Um but to kink seems like a fantastic space to bring that like, this is a part of me that like doesn't really work with, with connecting with other people. But in this container, it can work really well with the partner that I'm trying to connect with because they want to be in this kind of headspace and I can tap into that part of myself and, you know, get vulnerable
3: Yeah, it makes me think when you say that, it makes me think of Sir Bobby, um, who has since passed uh, out of Pittsburgh, and he referred to in his classes, referred to that notion of finding safe places to let out his own, his inner serial killer. Yeah. (laughs) And having bottoms, no, having bottoms he could trust. Uh Uh-huh. Having submissives whose act of service was being able to say, we need to stop. Having the courage to know their own mind and speak it out loud rather than swallowing that from him Mm -hmm. when they didn't have that capacity. And so he had to find people on the right side of the slash who had those skill sets or could build those skill sets and I am always so delighted, amazed. I don't know the right word um, okay. when I meet, especially people who are what gets called slave heart, like people who are of that level of longing to be owned, cherished, possessed, etc., who take the time to up their value, to up their own self worth to up their own capacity to say no, I am always so impressed with folks who do that because there is, I mean, there's value in that to the person you hand yourself over to. Mm
0: -hmm.
3: It's so important and I see a lot of folks who have a mythology that say it's the opposite, right? Like I need to have no limits, I need to have no boundaries. And, that's hot, like I can get off to that, yeah. that's great. But I, someone on the left side of the slash, because my answer is my orientation is yes. Mm-hmm. Right, like who am <laughs> I into, what's going on? Like, my orientation is yes. It's about, it's about you, who I'm with. Yeah. Um, but when I am on the left side of the slash and somebody allows me the capacity to possess them if they come with that piece it is such added value. Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely. This get me thinking about about my my top and dom side. I, I don't dabble so much in it, but this is, you know, these are exciting thoughts to to take with me uh, and in in finding other partners or adding to existing dynamics that that might allow for it. That's fantastic. I'm eating that up.
2: Well, I wanted to jump into something, and I think Ronan wanted to explore this as well. Um, for the uninitiated, can you explain what kind of spiritual and emotional affirmation one might get from age play? Yeah,
3: age play is such a passion of mine, to the point that I remember sitting down with Janet Hardy, who I know has is a familiar face to, to some of y'all. Um, when, back when they owned uh, Greenery Press and was talking about how age-based role-playing, right? The idea that we can, whatever your current chronological age is, playing up or down that spectrum from there, right? So it's somebody who's a 30-year-old playing somebody who is two months old, 10 years old, 21 years old 70 years old right it's anywhere up or down the spectrum and talking with janet about this and how some people have some false impressions of it and even uh in the case of a friend of mine were threatening to out them uh if they wrote a if they published an anthology on this was a number of years ago back in like 06 07. and janet was like well how would that be an issue? I mean, it's people talking about either role playing as compared to role being, which is about diving into your own inner self, right? It's looking into your own history and being like, well, who was I at four years old? Who was I at 14 years old? That can be more intimate and uh, can be uh, mirroring to some degree of parts work in therapy. And janet said how is that an issue to write a book on this and i'm like janet, there's literally no book on this topic in the english language and she said great when are you publishing one i'll take it you just have to write it and i'm like Shit. got you um, got me right um <laughs> and age play can be an erotic experience for some people. I remember talking to a couple who were in their 60s or so and they used to role play being 18 years old and quote, sneaking into a bar together. <laughs> and that's that so was sweet. their age playwright. They would sneak into a bar, get drunk and then go make out on Lover's Lane. Um, and I'm like, that's so hot. And yeah. silly and fun, but also stupidly hot. Um, <laughs> So they can be erotic or sensual for people who enjoy the sensations maybe of having your hair brushed out by, by mommy and having a partner who will do that. And um, But on the spiritual side, I think especially with regression, mm-hmm. I think about trans people and getting to talk to trans folks who get to live as the boy they would have gotten to be if culture had had different answers for them. Mm
1: -hmm.
3: Getting to be, right? Somebody who was assigned female at birth, getting to be the nine-year-old boy, having the blue shit they wanted rather than being forced to have pink. What would it have been like to get to choose overalls instead of being put into a dress Yeah. that their family or culture said was the right thing to do, even if they knew in their heart that was not the right thing to do? And that degree of empowerment and rewriting the wounds of our heart, mm-hmm. even if we don't call it spiritual, I think are powerful.
0: I, th- I don't know. It's definitely powerful. Yeah. Go
1: ahead. I was just going to speak on how I haven't felt like I haven't dabbled so much in the idea of regression. And as a trans person, I continue to have some like dysphoria and disconnection around like sex and my body and who I feel I am versus the body that I see in the mirror and have been told what that body is and what it means. And what it's supposed to do, um, and I think the the idea, like I haven't come across many ideas of how I would it delight in taking part in some sort of age play that felt gender affirming, because I do a lot of like. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I can be like quite a kid around some of my closest friends, and you know, they make me feel so affirmed in in my gender as you know this you know little boy making rude jokes and um, <laughs> you know pull up your pants and and stop stop doing all that shit and it makes me feel really seen and I haven't uh, so much needed or found a way. To bring that type of gender affirmation into a sex and kink container. Um, But so I would be so interested to hear more from other people who are finding affirmation in whatever kink uh, way that they're going about it. And regression and age play is a prime example of getting to rewrite your story and um acted out in ways that feel more affirming to you.
3: So I have a former partner of mine who talks about this story too, um goes by the the name online of uh transbear sometimes uh, or werewolf king on TikTok. <laughs> and which I just think is such a great handle.
1: Werewolf And
3: werewolf. I know, right?
1: And, and they shoot and all fair.
3: this cigar porn and like super grr, you know and, and and both of us are trans men mm-hmm. and we ended up doing a scene in the shower as effectively two 12 year old male friends exploring each other's bodies with anal play and you know masturbating using soap with our cocks and mm-hmm. this piece that if you might have had a sleepover and this it was mirroring to some degree a story from another one of my friends who was a man who plays with men um from some of their own youth of, of exploring with a friend their own bodies and getting to have that it wasn't formally negotiated we had formally negotiated what our sexual lines were Mm -hmm. what our body comforts were what our relationship dynamics were but this specific scene hadn't been discussed ahead of time it evolved because we were in the shower and there was this moment of eye-to-eye contact and looking at each other's ass and it's like hmm right Mm -hmm. and (laughs) some people find it really safe empowering or hot to know the details of what's coming down the pipeline and there's others of us for whom it's create a safe paddock for which our horses can run free Mm -hmm. and for for him and i it was very much this moment of oh we're exploring each other's bodies and then after the fact we checked in about headspace
1: yeah and
3: we're like I was kind of in a twelve year old boy headspace. Where are you at? And he was like, I was kind of in a thirteen year old boy headspace. And I'm like, great, we read each other well, and it was stupidly hot.
1: Yeah.
3: Right? Stupidly sexy. And we got to have that moment, even if we never formally discussed it, of getting to live a moment of memory that some other men who play with men have.
1: Mm-hmm. exploring with your friends in the bathtub uh, does
0: that bring up memories
1: for everybody <laughs> it, yeah a little <laughs> it, it made me think of all of the girl friends that I had uh, growing up I, I was always having like a best friend that I was obsessed with um I never did, so I never really sexually explored with them. But there would be times during sleepovers that I would be like, "Should we like hold each other or something?" <laughs> no, 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 for sure. Let's just go to bed. I'll see you in the morning.
0: <laughs> for me personally, okay, I have disassociative identity disorder, and I do have younger parts. I'm a very more sensual as opposed to sexual person. And um, I find that sometimes even when it's not um, not sexual, like just sitting down and coloring like a little kid Mm -hmm. will put me like so much at ease. But I've definitely had some moments where the 13-year-old boy was there. and. You know, um, my friend was actually a gay man, but because I was in such a male space, he and I, and I didn't have the language for it back then. Uh, he and I played around and fooled around and it was really, really nice. And I really felt closer to him.
3: I love that. Yeah. So, DID, or formerly known as, as MPD, um, multiple personality disorder for folks who aren't familiar with it, um, creates a different conversation around consent, though. That yes. it's about, at least for me, when I've, I've, I've have had experiences either internally in a different part of my life before I did a lot of integration work, and, um, and for friends who that is part of their full life experience. It's about having the conversation, not just with you as the the default person who fronts, but also when others are fronting or present in the the ener- in the, the mental headspace, right? In in the room, as it were, uh, is it appropriate for the six year old to be watching X, Y, and Z, or should they go be tucked into bed first in the back <laughs> of your brain, and then we come back to the scene? And um, with age play. I think there's an extra layer that needs to be cautious of, both for internal work, uh, but I would argue also for the people we play with. With a lot of other SM, uh, is there the possibility that our six-year-old self um, might unexpectedly front, especially if a certain word gets said in the middle of an SM scene, yes, it's possible. But with age play, I find the likelihood of it, the percentage of it, to bump up higher. There's a higher percentage or likelihood in age play that these things might come up as compared to an SM scene. And so do we need to tell our partners of our psychological realities, of how we work? as part of the consent, and then also negotiating with that potential part of you that might front in the middle of that experience. Like I had to, with part of my own mind experience um, that is a teen, I had a play partner who was like, I need to know if you're role-playing or if that is coming up at all, because I do not consent to playing with a 12 year old, a 14 year old. I consent to playing with a 44 year old, role playing. But if your brain is being a 12 year old, a 14 year old, I do not as the other person in this room consent to that. So it's both discussing with our partners and also you know, that inner six-year-old totally consents if they come forward to cuddle, uh, to cuddling or coloring, the world is great. Yeah. Potentially. Um, so it's like, I, I think there's a complexity to the consent, whether it, it's around uh, DID or in some situations CPTSD.
0: What I've learned with myself is having someone who does pay attention to subtle cues that I may not even mm-hmm. notice. And, uh, like I said, I've had partners stop me. They'd be like, Hey, timeout. You look different. You're moving different. You're talking different where <laughs> yeah. we're, we're going to stop this right now. So, or, you know, sometimes it, it changes and I'll become someone who's a little bit older or, um, it's just mm-hmm. it is complicated. <laughs> but I always do tell my partners and make sure they're as informed as possible. And I've had people you know, reject me because of it. And that's that's okay. You know. <laughs> I don't I don't blame them. They don't want the responsibility.
3: Or they don't have the skill set. Yeah. Like they don't have the capacity to catch us if we fall. Yeah. There's an amazing event, Great. if if folks don't know about it, called Thrive, and it's the BDSM and Mental Health Conference. It's a free online event uh, that is produced by a kink educator and a therapist working together. And there's both a professional track and a number of personal tracks mm-hmm. that are all about these intersections, not specifically DID, but like, The conversations around mood disorders and as a dominant, how does that come into play? Mm -hmm. Uh, Being in MS relationships with folks who are uh, neurodivergent, what's that like? Uh, Panels of all sorts of people talking about things and then an entire one track of classes for folks who are professionals who are looking it's um i'm not sure this year if there's going to be ce credits or not uh for therapists but at least the education is taking place and i had a chance to host a conversation on there the initial year about mental health and role-playing And we end up having an entire, like the class ended and we had another hour of spinoff conversation for, you know, folks like yourself that are dancing with multiplicity, um, because it is its own nuanced conversation that is so rich, so important and such an amazing thing for folks. Even if you don't have DID, if you are exploring a a diverse array of roles, Mm -hmm. similar skill sets Mm -hmm. can be useful and helpful.
1: I feel really lucky to live in an area with a sexual wellness shop like As You Like It with that puts on um, a lot of workshops and lectures about these kinds of skill sets that you need for kink and um, various um, sexual relationships. And that shit is so cool, and I, I can't imagine, like, how difficult it must be to want to develop these skill sets and only have such, such um, little or, or scarce access to, to sharpen those skills. What a tough space to be in.
3: I mean, it's one of the blessings of how things happened in the initial lockdown that folks like Wicked Grounds and Carada House, um, Wicked Grounds out of San Francisco, Carada House out of Berlin, having them pivot so quickly from doing in-person education to online classes being available. And suddenly if you're in rural Wales, You have access to education, and I'm specifically thinking of one MS household that were showing up all the time to the classes I was doing on a personal level. The stuff that either of these other two groups were doing of conferences that sprung up like the embodiment conference uh, that sprung up out of nowhere to do this stuff. And it wasn't out of nowhere. It's It was people doing fantastic in-person work who took the time mm-hmm. to be like, okay, how do we bring this to our same people? And suddenly those same people weren't the only people in the room. It was folks from Montana. It was folks from Northern Mississippi. Mm-hmm. It was folks that were didn't have stuff within a two-hour drive of them mm-hmm. who suddenly had this stuff. And As we have opened up in-person events and programming, um, even though choices are being made because COVID is not over and people are still dying and getting COVID multiple times is showing a higher percentage likelihood of long COVID, Mm -hmm. these things are not done. But with these in-person events coming to being again, having us keep online education available and accessible is such an important thing for folks with disabilities, for folks who do not live in large population areas, mm-hmm. for folks who have various um, stress-related um, mental realities. Yeah, I, th- I think us empowering and continuing to give our funds to that for those of us who have the money, Mm -hmm. continuing to put our butts in the seats so teachers still want to keep doing this stuff. Keep doing it. Online access matters, even if you are now choosing to do some in-person stuff. Absolutely.
2: Speaking of online courses... Can you tell us a little bit about the crotch, rope, and butt bondage course you're going to do?
3: <laughs> yes, so I have this class that I love. I That's on crotch, ropes, and butt bondage. Because I love asses. I don't know about any of y'all, but there is something so fun about playing in this region of the body, that in the world of rope bondage, everybody's obsessed with chest harnesses and upper body harnesses and takata-kote and these box ties and all this stuff, right? Mm. People are obsessed. But what about the other parts of our body doing foot bondage, doing hand bondage, doing leg bondage? And so I developed this class initially when I was going to be going to an event and they were only giving me 45 minutes for a class. And I'm like, ah, how can I strip my classes down? And so I took one of my larger rope classes and took this section out of it. Mm -hmm. And then I had a chance to do it for Karada House at the Queer Rope Conference. And if people are not familiar with this event, it's an online rope conference internationally that is just for um, women and trans and non-binary folks. That is who the conference is for, who are into rope on all sides, self-bondage, bottoming, topping, all of the above. Amazing event. And when I was in that class, I had things come out of my mouth because of who was in the room Hmm. about the fact that, oh, if you're tying with somebody who has a prosthetic, right? That might be called a packer. That might be called a gaff. Um, so things that are creating an external prosthetic or things that are holding down tissue to be able to have a flat presentation. Um, I found myself talking about how those interact with crotch ropes that had never come out of my mouth before. I knew them, but they just had never happened. I talked about the fact that if you have external genitalia, be aware that um, you need to make a choice as you're going down. Are you flattening everything down? Are you going to one side of their bits, the other side of their bits, wrapping around as you continue? In which case, here are some safety concerns. Mm -hmm. But I'd never had the other conversation come out, and so. Myself and Mia Moore, who is an amazing rope educator in her own right. Uh, she usually teaches on things like bandana bondage and being goofy with your play. Love her so much. Uh, we're going to do this class that is on tying up butts and making strap-on harnesses and doing crotch ropes and talking to our partners about the complexity of this region of our body and our desires. Mm-hmm. So, I am stupidly excited about it. And it's also a a nice. Flex for me and as a stretch, as it were, because I've been doing a lot of psychological classes on power exchange and the complexities of power dynamics, understanding and understanding them with uh, them within the context of cultural power, right? That if you don't name capitalism, you can't actually name the realities of handing over your money to a dominant. Like yeah. I'm having these like dense conversations, so to be able to pause and be like, and now. <laughs> (laughs) he's just so nice from time to time
1: I'm glad butts are getting the spotlight that they deserve
3: yeah and and there's also something about remembering joy I have a Patreon where I do monthly either uh, salons where it's a chance to ask and have conversations about an array of questions while we all have beverages and snacks. Mm-hmm. Uh, because people in a lot of those like ask me anything, are so like, all right, we're gonna show up sterile, we're gonna and I'm like, nah, bring your craft projects, show up with some, you know, cheese and crackers, enjoy your latte, like let's just do our thing and be social in a way that if we were all in the same place, we would be social, right? But I either do those or formal classes every month for my patrons, and I got to do one on humor and kink that I have a recording of up on my site, um, up on that Patreon, and it was nice to remind people that laughing has power too that as Del Toshlein, who is a sexuality educator who isn't currently practicing, um, they like to say, uh, you don't have to be solemn to be serious about mm-hmm. something.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And so to be able to be serious, but not solemn, I think is so powerful and it allows us an access point in to our desire to our connections especially for those of us for whom solemnity for whom being being er, erger i am flat has been wrapped up with trauma i think specifically for people on either side of the slash in power exchange dynamics right mommy boy daddy girl and you know daddy but like any of that kind of stuff but owner property anybody on these formal things for whom they were told this is what the lines are suddenly formality doesn't feel safe mm-hmm. but laughter laughter creates this door to possibility and self-identity it lets me go oh right Pleasure. <laughs> pleasure's a thing and I'm allowed it. Yeah. Right, pleasure's a thing and I'm allowed it. In combination with the fact that it's nice to remember that if you queef or fart, <laughs> queef is like, a, is like an air pressure thing in your front hole. Um, if you queef or fart in the middle of a scene or your dildo <laughs> goes flying, uh-huh. it's not the end. <laughs> it's not the end you can keep going you can keep having fun uh-huh. it doesn't have to be shame
0: yeah
3: and so many of us with these things were taught shame and learning that tool set and remembering that the tool set of either outright laughter or the internal giggle that never comes out of your mouth either of those are so powerful yeah and so, yeah, I think it's important to 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 remember that there is both solemnness and laughter possibilities
1: on a topic that
3: can be very serious.
1: Yeah, there was a time that I was having, I would, I was doing a scene with a play partner, and it was the first time that we had involved um, ass play in it, and I was, you know, wearing my first uh, butt plug. And I, and lo and behold, I ended up coming pretty hard. Um, and I pushed that butt plug right out of my ass. And I, like, once I realized that that was what I did, I was like, Oh God, I probably shit myself too. God damn it. And you know, I went to the bathroom and I was like, Oh, this is so weird. This is so weird. And I, And I went home and I was talking to my roommates about it. And I was like, this is is what happened. I need you guys to talk to me about this. And they were like, oh, my God, the amount of time that I've just like, you know, I've got poop on my nose when I was eating my girlfriend out. And, and, you know, I just wipe that shit off. And, and, you know, I continue with my job, you know, and I'm like, okay, so it's fine that I shat my butt plug out. Uh And they were like, yeah, no, that's fine. Like, that's normal. You're okay. Like you have towels for a reason it's and and I was like oh okay yeah no for sure for sure for sure for sure okay glad we had that conversation um so yeah joy and laughter in 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 moments like that is so incredibly important and I wish I had like laughed more in the moment that that had happened and and not internally freaked out a little bit
3: Though, if we have partners who have anxiety of some sort around these topics, fears, concerns, if you are the person doing something to or for someone, Mm -hmm. the power of, if they're in that moment of bliss or whatever, they're distracted in some way, they just came quietly going and grabbing that towel, Mm -hmm. maybe warming it up with some warm water but not hot, coming in, wiping stuff down while kissing them on their pubic area Mm -hmm. and having this moment of reconnection while you're doing stuff that you never talk about. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You just do it, fold up that towel, set it to the side and go snuggle them.
1: Yeah. Right, or quickly
3: set that towel in the tub. Yeah. (laughs) Right, go set that out of the way, cuddle up with them, and therefore, they never had to think about it.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And if they did think about it, your behaviors as the fucker mm-hmm. can show, I love you. I care about you. You're okay. And even if it's a hot pickup scene, you met somebody on Grindr whatever. whatever,
1: yeah.
3: it shows meh, life goes on, and the person doesn't have to have their next hookup be wrapped in shame.
1: Yeah. And it's just overwhelmingly hot when someone, you know, doesn't have to, like, when they're already thinking about the thing and they don't mention it to you and they just kind of take responsibility for whatever's happening. Like, if I'm freaking out in my head and you start doing that shit, I'm immediately coming down off of that, like, escalation. I'm like, okay, I'm cool, I'm fine, even if they do realize that that happened, I'm not in trouble, it's not gross, they're clearly, like, chill and fine with it.
0: I think that's why aftercare is so important. Yeah.
3: Absolutely. Aftercare is so important for that reason. Though I will offer that if the relationship is on the flip side, let's say you have an erotic, um, erotic embarrassment mm-hmm. as part of your long-term dynamic. I know uh, a number of femdoms for who that's how they have part of their play, mm-hmm. right? Is the embarrassment all the time taking that damp towel and throwing it at someone's face and saying, clean the fuck up (laughs) can be really silly and fun too. As a way to do that aftercare you're talking about that is important is I heard it described once that aftercare is helping people return to homeostasis aftercare is helping somebody return to the day to day normal. Mm -hmm. so they're not walking into the world vulnerable and exposed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so in the case of that erotic embarrassment relationship, you're putting them, you're getting them out of orgasm headspace and back into the, oh, yeah, Mm -hmm. they possess me and I like it. (laughs) Headspace, right? They're returning them to normal, whatever normal means.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
3: But it sounds like Ronan for you that after Carrie like you've had that be an important thing for you.
0: Oh yeah. It's uh, like you said, the reconnecting and kind of coming down off the mountaintop sort of thing, you know? Mm. you know? Like but it's it's a gentle way to remind you of reality again. Yeah,
3: it's important to remember that the world at large exists. <laughs> <laughs> Even if I don't want it to necessarily be quote reality. Um, because reality is wherever we place it, right? Somebody's day-to-day reality. I think specifically of people who live in the, quote, Bay Area bubble,
0: yeah.
3: where it's like, oh, their idea of normal is very different <laughs> than what normal or or real, I think the word you used was reality. Yeah, like whatever reality is for people in the Bay Area bubble is different than the reality of people living in Slidell, Louisiana. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I know a lot of great perverts in Slidell, <laughs> Louisiana, so I'm
1: not I'm not hating on them.
3: I love well, you, them very
1: much. You turn over any rock, you'll find a pervert. <laughs> Guaranteed. <laughs>
3: <laughs> you just gotta look. Oh my gosh, this has been <laughs> this has been so juicy thank you so much for having me on on this show it's been fun i'm delighted and keep up the great work the array of people you both have on the show and the conversations you all have between each other are wonderful and important
1: thank you so much for being here lee we really appreciate it take care bye bye That was the amazing author and educator Lee Harrington. Every episode, you can join us for a plunge into kink, non monogamy, sex education, deconstructing the gender binary, queer culture, and
0: how to build healthy communities. Listen in as we talk with and learn from educators, authors, pornographers, health professionals, and people just like you and I. From beginners to veterans, we dive into BDSM, love and heartbreak, mental health, and finding moments of peace and joy amidst the chaos.
2: Hit subscribe, like, comment, and share. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Acast, or RSS feed.